where I live in London, you see the same homeless people every single day. And you just think, if I was only in your shoes, well, I, would, I would know. So I would sleep homeless for a day, a week. And I will at some point. Hi and welcome to the show. I'm your host Alex Chisnell, Virgin Startup Mentor and founder of Startup U, regional partner for Virgin Startup, providing funding, mentoring and support for entrepreneurs. You're listening to Screw It, Just Do It, a show designed by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. The main thing is if you have a, if you have a good idea for a business, you know, as I say, screw it, just do it and give it a go and you may fall flat on your face, but pick yourself up and keep trying until you succeed. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, who are the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup U. On today's show, we welcome Ollie Forsyth, founder of the Budding Entrepreneurs Club. Whilst Ollie's just 19 years old, he launched his first business aged 13 and first showed entrepreneurial traits aged just six when he charged his parents 20p to make them a cup of tea or coffee and more for a refill. Ollie left school at 16 without any qualifications and has since been named in Fortune magazines, one of the young innovators who's changing the world, the Queen's Young Leaders Award, as well as the Times Magazine, Most Influential Teens. I caught up with Ali to find out what his current plans are. My name is Oli Bullseye. I'm 19, and I run a company called The Budding Entrepreneur, which is a entrepreneur's magazine, a entrepreneur's club, and we've recently started a entrepreneur's academy, to get young people starting companies, which I believe is very important. Well, given our target audience is entrepreneurs, this sounds like a, uh, a very well-scheduled interview. Hopefully. Well, <laughs> fire away. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so um, what's, what's exciting for you right now? What are you excited about? So at the moment, it's really about um, engaging young budding entrepreneurs together, but something I found recently is so many young people, so these are students in particular, mm-hmm. they want to go and start their own company, but they don't know how to do it. So scratching my head all the time, how can we how can we get these students, almost forcing them to go and try and start a company whilst they're in education? So that's kind of what our academy is about. Um, to give you an example, there are ten and a half million students in the UK and roughly eighty seven percent of those want to learn how to start a business for their future career. Um, so that's, that's roughly about 8.7 million students, give or take. So that's a massive opportunity for the UK economy. And I think what we're seeing now is a lot of students want to choose alternatives to go to university. Um, and you'd be surprised, like, so many of these students, actually, they have really, really good ideas, but they just don't know how to take action on it. Now, that could be developing some form of business plan. It could be just 
marketing their business, um, finding a mentor is, is a number of things normally. Um, but I find the resources and skills aren't in these education institutes to um, help them, support them to go and do it. So that's kind of where, where our opportunity is at the moment, I think. Excellent. And you yourself, you decided to become an entrepreneur before uh, or instead of going to university. Is that correct? I did. So I, uh, with the entrepreneurial flair, started, I guess, when I was six years old, when I used to make my parents drink off in the morning, charge them 20p a cup. Um, and <laughs> Love uh, it. They, they wouldn't drink the first cup, would go cold, so that was another 20p for it to be reheated. Um, <laughs> I did the school talk shop at school. So I would open on the same days the talk shop was open, but I would sell different products. And on the days it wasn't open, I would sell the same products, but at double the price. Um, and on the Coke can, for example, it would say, do not sell separately. So what do you do? You put two together, then you're not selling separately. Um, and then I launched my first proper business age 13. That was a online gift shop for teenagers, um, Ollie Shop. So that was simply um, an online gift shop for teenagers. Um, I didn't have any capital time to start it. Um, and um, so I got in touch with 10 different suppliers around the world. And the deal was they had sent me 10 free samples free of charge. So I had uh, 100 free samples. And as a 13 year old, you sold those at 10 pounds each and you made your first thousand um, pounds. And I think I, I think I made about 5,000 pounds in six months. Um, and then from that, um, the company pretty much grew double every year in terms of product range of finance. Mm-hmm. So I was coming out in all kinds of media, which was great. Um, so I got in touch with a local newspaper, page 13. They wrote about me, then the B, um, local BBC radio station. And um, I've had all kinds of big publications since then. But a lot of young people were saying, um, I want to go and start my own business. But first of all, I'm not inspired. How can you inspire me? So we launched an entrepreneur's magazine, age 16. Um, that grew to 50,000 readers in the first year. And I didn't really do that to make money um, at the beginning. But since then, we've got 20,000 people on our database. So two years later, that's been very um, useful. Um, but I got to meet all kinds of very interesting entrepreneurs. Even got to meet the man himself, Sir Richard Branson, which was fantastic. Awesome. Uh, just providing, the, the idea was to provide really interesting, um, inspirational stories to get um, people starting their business. Um, and since then, we've launched a entrepreneurs club <clears throat> at the Shard uh, last September, the Budding Entrepreneur Club, which is a entrepreneurs network for budding entrepreneurs. Um, it's simply one event a month um, or more sometimes, and we get a group of people together, and we've got the academy too. Great. And what do you think held you back initially from becoming an entrepreneur? Was, was there anything that you could put your finger on? Um, I think probably, I mean, when I was very, when I was just starting, I was obviously very young. Um, so I think I, I think that actually has an advantage. So especially getting into the media, um, for me early on, that was very, very important. So get as much media as you can um, as early as possible. As I saw, as you get older, people people uh, want to hear about the new entrepreneurs, not not mm. necessarily. Um, 
I think really just you've got to surround yourself with the right people. So I did that from um, all the way back, right from the early stages. And people actually used to call me, they used to call me a stalker because I would much um, of everyone. And um, well, since then, all those, yeah, all those people become useful who, who I kept in touch with. So I think that's very useful. And do you, do you think it's it's massively important to, to have a mentor no matter what stage of the journey you're at and a, and a variety of mentors depending on, on the area that you, you need the most help in? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, having a mentor or an advisor or a chairman um, in your business, I think is very, very important. Um, entrepreneurs think I are normally quite arrogant when it comes to that kind of thing. They think they probably know it all, but actually they're always part of the business where they don't know. Um, you know, I spoke to a guy who this morning who's 32. Um, he runs a hundred million pound company he started uh, five years ago. He's got a huge bunch of advisors. And this guy, he's 31, 32, running a huge company. So no matter who you are, um, you always need to have people on your team. And it's just that person you can call up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning with a concern on your mind. Um, and I think if you are just starting and you're trying to find a mentor, try and get someone either in finance um, or an accountant or a lawyer. I think those are the most two, two or three crucial sectors to begin with. So essentially build, build a team to help you get there quicker. Yeah, I mean, when you first start, it's obviously quite difficult to employ someone. Um, but if you can find a mentor who's hopefully been there and done it, or they're successful in their own right, if you can just get them to look over your business once a month, um, that's a good start. And then from there, get two, three, four, four or five advisors and then start building your team up. There's also credibility. So if you've got a good bunch of advisors who are, I guess, if they're well-known in their own right, um, it's great cred- credibility to your brand too. Yeah, without, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and looking back from when you come from being six years old and, and having your first idea of uh, charging your parents money for, for tea and coffee, um, yeah. is there any, any barriers you've come across, any setbacks along the way um, to, to where you are now with launching these yeah. you know, three different businesses? Um, I think, first of all, never take yes for an answer. So people will say they always do something, yes, 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 yes. But until they've either paid or they've got their writing, signed, that's when you can say, yes, we're now working together. Mm. Um, so I've learned that a lot. And also people will use you. Um for a number of things, either contacts or uh, it could be job opportunities. People will use you as much as they can to have access to you. So I think that's always in the back of my mind and you've got to just be very, very careful. Um, so the only advice I've got at the moment is a lawyer. He's um, He was only apprentice a couple of years ago. Um, so just any, any legal documents go his way. Because you have these 10, 20 page documents and you're signing, and that one line hmm. that says X amount or X this, that could destroy your business. Yeah. So that's why I said you must get some form of um, legal advisor if you can. It's absolutely crucial. And have you always done that, or is that just something you've, you've, you've learned along the way from like starting out at, at 13 with, uh, with your first business? Um, so I've always learned how to get advice from people. 
Um, and I just thought one day, you know what? I think it's very, very important to have someone look over your business, um, especially when you're quite young too. Um, and again, it's just surrounding yourself with the right people. And these, these advisors are there to help you. They want to see your business grow and they want to be part of the journey. So if someone says, um, I'll mentor you or help you, take full use of it, 100%. Absolutely. And reading some of your stories um, from the press, I think you generated like hundreds of articles, as you said, since um, starting your first business. A lot of that, obviously, because of being such a young age when, when you did start that and, you know, without a doubt, um, use that to your advantage. Um, and do you feel the dyslexia early on was you've used that to your advantage as well? Um, yeah. I mean, I think having um, dyslexia, it definitely makes you think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it actually makes you think very creatively. So I, I absolutely hate sleeping. Um, <laughs> I'm normally 5am, it goes better than night every single day, apart from Christmas Day, which is also my birthday, actually. Um, Take off to tea a day. And I just think it's, it's very odd. I mean, I, ha- I almost have a photographic memory too. So if you put 40 numbers on a yellow piece of paper and you, if you give me five minutes, I could probably remember every single one in the exact same order. Um, so I think in terms of entrepreneurship, if you have dog, if you have got dyslexia, I think it could be very useful. For some people, it's a real struggle. So such as when I was at school, um, writing an exam or an essay was absolutely hopeless of running your own business as long as you can read some numbers um, and you can communicate with people that's probably all you need so I so I went to two I went to two business schools and one of them was quite well known um, the other was not as much and unfortunately I didn't learn any real real business like all real business skills in those business schools so hence why we did our own um, so if I, if I left school age 16, I would have gone to a proper business school, um, apart from those others, if that makes sense. But you, you live and learn, as they say. Yeah. And did you, did you stay for a, a certain amount of time and then just thought this yeah. wasn't for me at this well-known person's business school and then pull the plug? Um, no, I mean, so I, I completed the courses, but thankfully, okay. um, luckily I should, I guess, um, I was running my own business time, so I could do a lot of work from home. Um, so that that kind of helps a lot. Um, but I think it's a shame. It's a shame to see there's some great business schools out there, but why aren't any of them, or um, virtually any? Why aren't they teaching real business skills? I think is a massive issue at the moment. Um, and I think to be honest, if they did teach the real business, such as how do you file a tax return? How do you make sure your company is fully legally protected? Mm. Um, raising capital. Just these basic, simple business skills you need before you really go and start. Even if they did that, I, I think we would be encouraging a lot more young entrepreneurs um, and students to go and start their own business. Thanks very much. Um, and is, are there any particular institutions that you've already going to be speaking at or putting some kind of program together for students so in terms of speaking i'm doing four five in february so I'm doing what chelmsford university bucking university angler ruskin university ucl and um there's numbers where i can't quite remember 
Um, but I think going and speaking to these universities, first of all, I, I really, really enjoy it because I'm similar ages to them. Mm. And in some way, they can actually relate to it. Yeah. Because we're similar ages and we're, we're hopefully all in this together. They want to go and do something and we're there to encourage them. Um, and it's really interesting just seeing what ideas they have. So at the moment, I've got a team of five, just myself and four others, and all of them are still at university. None of them are British, which I don't have a problem with whatsoever. So one's from Singapore, France, Paris, and Dubai. And what's really interesting about that is you're getting a whole mix of nationalities, but actually it's interesting hearing what their ideas are in terms of global expansion. So for the French person, for example, their education system is completely free of charge, including universities. Um, so how would our academy fit into the French economy and their education system? Yeah. Um, whereas with Singapore and Dubai, they want things all wacky, super duper, very expensive. So hmm. I think it's really, really interesting to see um, what their ideas are and um, anyone who's looking to start their own company get as much nationality and diverse types of people as you can. That's really interesting. And, and how do you see your business going in, in regards to the university? Do you look, do you look to monetize that at, at some stage further, further down the pipeline with, you know, with speaking to individual institutions or is it speaking to uh, UCAS, for example, as a whole, the whole body of universities in the, in the UK? Yeah. I mean, at some, at some point we, I will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, these, these were booked six, seven months ago, so I, I said I'll do it. Yeah. Um, I love speaking to universities, but it's also very time-consuming. Mm. So you've, you've almost got to see what's your return on investment. Now, if you want to partner these universities at some point, one talk and you're in. That's a partnership sorted. Right. So that's, that's what we normally do um, as a return on investment. Okay, okay. And... Um, is there a goal for how many people you'd like there to speak to or so normally i mean typically at the universities is two three hundred normally yeah um the biggest i've done was two thousand um wow was a, where was that <laughs> so that was a marketing conference okay. um last last march um i'm doing again one thousand people in Newbury in July or June. Um, so getting in front of, getting up in front of 1,000, 2,000 people, even if there's only 20 people, is really, really um, great. I enjoy it a lot. And having seen you speak live, do you get nervous yourself or are you you're used to it now? You've, you've done a fair um, few. I used, get, I used to hate it. Yeah. But um, as soon as you're 10 seconds in, you're absolutely fine. Um but now it's kind of just, you rememberize the slides so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just kind of get up and and do the do. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We saw you do that down in Bournemouth recently. There we go. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it. Excellent. It was great. Great having you there. Um, and what do you see your, your biggest strength? Um, I think I can see, obviously having gendered uh, quite an amount of, of, of press to, to have that kind of um, backing already also from, from a number of well-known people um, it can only help. But what do you think personally, what, what traits do you have that you think are strong? 
features. So, communication in terms of business, communication. Um, so normally when if someone wants to send me an email, long as I'm not in a meeting, I would try and respond within 20 minutes. Normally it's literally five minutes. And I would always try and maintain that in the company. So one thing I hate is waiting for um, responses from normally big companies yeah. that take days, sometimes a week. So if you can maintain that reputation of being fast, quick, and prompt, I would always try and maintain the company, no matter how big we get. Um, but then one of the biggest weaknesses is I can never, ever switch off. Your head is always buzzing with the new ideas or um, how to solve that problem, how are we going to do it. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of people I want to bring on our board of advisors at the moment. Um, one's quite well known of a, uh, a CEO of a financial service company. So huge, huge, quite well known person. What is this person going to be able to provide me? What can I provide that? So it's just your mind's always juggling with ideas. Um, hopefully that will pay off at some point sure it will and uh, speaking about bringing people on board and and best working practices any productivity tools that you particularly recommend that that help you get through a fair amount of work in, in a far quicker time um to be honest i'm quite old school i love lists so writing down handwritten lists um and making sure they get done every single day that's the one thing i i do there are some um, you know, great to-do lists out there, um, but that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. I go to school and write them down. Now, I always remember um, working with Virgin Atlantic and, and being on a flight with Richard, and he would literally go around with a, with a pen and a paper, um, sit down next to people, ask them their opinions, and um, just say, I, I don't have an email account. Um, I don't know how to use a computer. <laughs> I'm just complete, completely old school. This is how I'd always done it, and this is how I continue to do it. What's the one thing you must do before you die? Ooh. Have I got you? That is very difficult. Sleep homeless for a night, I reckon. Hey, um, I like it. Yeah, that's cool. So where, where I live in London, you see the same homeless people every single day, mm-hmm. and you just think... If I was only in your shoes, well, I, would, I would know. Um, so I would sleep homeless for a day, a week, if I could. And I will at some point, just to experience it. Yeah, very good. Oli Fosai, thank you very much indeed. No, thank you very much. Today's podcast is brought to you by Safri Shabnas, a top 20 firm of chartered accountants and registered fiduciaries. They pride themselves on consistently providing effective solutions to their entrepreneurial clients, not only on taxation and financial matters, but on business in general. Contact them at safri.com, quoting Startup You. All great startups are born out of a problem that the founder eventually solves. In the case of Darcy Ida, her problem was finding a great photo booth for her wedding that came with great customer service. Her solution? Start her own one, called Ida Pod. Little did she realize that as well as supplying booths for weddings, she'd be supplying them for funerals as well.
Hi, my name's Darcy Ida and I own, manage and operate IdaPod Photo Booths. We are a London-based photo booth company that's busy. <laughs> awesome. Busy is good, even in January. Yes. So what are you excited about right now, Darcy? Well, it's January, so at the moment I'm scheduling for uh, the next six months to year ahead. Um, there's a lot of new, exciting projects that we're working on as a team. And January is the only real time that there is a bit of a gap in my scheduling, of my diary, where I can sit down and work out what didn't work last year, uh, what did work last year, what could be improved, how things can be better, and how I can create more of a structure uh yeah cool and and what what worked best for you last year last year we have the occasional <clears throat> funeral reception which has proven very popular in the last two years we've been getting a fair few bookings where i guess people are just trying to capture moments within the moment wow i never would have thought that and i'm sure most people listening wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have thought that either yeah and yeah. have you have you been to a funeral with an Ida Pod um, yourself, or do your, your team been there? Uh, first ever funeral reception job that we did. I wanted to go out just to make sure that everything was yeah. completely perfect because it's a very sensitive occasion. Mm. Um, it's not where people are necessarily. Well, it depends how you want to look at it. The the first booking that we got, that person wanted to celebrate life and they loved photos so they got in contact with us and they said that the person that had passed loved photos loved capturing memories mm. and they wanted a photo booth and then after a little bit of discussion I explained the video option to the photo booths and, and what we offer and that it might be a nice idea to try and capture audio and visual moments between the guests going in as well as photos. And it was a really touching idea. Uh, I guess it's that idea that some there are some family members that you will only see at weddings, christenings and funerals. Uh, so yeah, it, no, absolutely right. So, yeah, if that's the next big event, why wouldn't you want to capture it? Um, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't morbid. It wasn't distasteful the moments that were captured the family were very grateful and it kind of spiraled from there so now that's quite a regular thing that we're seeing funeral receptions where people are celebrating life and they're also trying to capture moments and we also facilitate for that i mean I, my first thought was literally you want to a funeral is a celebration of someone's life therefore why would you not want to capture that? And I'm all for making that um, a far happier occasion, remembering that person as they should be. So I, I totally get that. Never thought of it before, but I totally get that. Especially when you're dealing within an industry that some might see as saturated or quite popular or in demand, or there are lots of companies trying to push their way through. We were lucky enough as a company to have started however many years ago, uh, 2012 slash 13 and we've laid good foundations that although there are lots of companies c coming through now trying to fight their way through there are you know a handful of photo booth companies that facilitate for events that through word on word of mouth 
are recognised or for the work that they've done or the recognition for the venues that they're working at and the calibre of clients and venues and people that they are working with. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're one of those. <laughs> yeah, and, and how do you stand out? A lot of what I push is to do with creating and capturing a moment a moment and creating an experience for the users. So I spend a lot of time within my sales drives or the meeting and greetings of event managers and venue managers and hotel managers and PR companies and event event companies building relations. I feel like, you know, once someone feels that they are comfortable that you can do the job, they're more than happy to, one, book you, two, have an opportunity to see how you and your team work, and three, understand the difference between cheap and cheap, if that makes sense. Being quite a competitive industry, you've got a lot of companies that maybe want to try and undercut, and there are a lot of people out there that, you know, they're just shoppers they they know what they want they know the idea that they want and they're not that bothered about service they're not that bothered about quality of the thing that they're looking at the the props the photo booths the software the cameras the printers just want the they, cheapest they just want the cheapest yeah. and, and I, I, over the years i've learned that you can't win everyone mm. and that's absolutely fine we don't want everyone absolutely what, what I do need for my, for a happy workforce and a happy team are jobs that my team want to go out to and want to give their best to. So if we just try and take on all the bookings that we can at the cheapest cut price just because we want to get our foot in the door with the hope that they'll rebook us next time and then I'm sending my team out and they're working to the best of their ability and they're not having fun or they're not happy, then they can't really be a good reflection of what I'm trying to build. that makes sense yeah absolutely of a community within the workforce because i think a happy workforce is a good workforce and i spend a lot of time focusing on the service that we provide being efficient professional and reliable because i guess that's what gets us rebookings in the Mm. long run and where do you find you get most of your your clients from then your target market not corporate actually yeah yeah a lot of corporate we've got fantastic contracts with companies and the rapport and the relationship has taken a long while to build that trust but you know once you're getting signatures on dotted lines and you're getting much more of commitment it it just seems that the hard work is paying off yeah (laughs) people are prepared to put their name against your business and what it is you do and when did you, what was the moment you decided to, to start the business? What, what led you to this industry? It's quite a funny story, really. Um, I worked for a television company and I had several jobs. I was also a jobbing actor working within the creative arts. So there were lots of filling jobs. I was doing probably four different types of jobs, all sorts of jobs, you name it. I pretty much probably have done it. Maybe not all, but most jobs. And it was just a bit much. It was it was just that thing, you've got four jobs, but that doesn't really make a difference because by the time you get taxed, is it really worth all of that effort? And I, there was a point 
in 2012 and I just decided I was tired of working for other people. I was very good at my job. I was very good at what I did. I was people's person. I didn't particularly hate my job, but what I did know was that my energy could have been better spent working on something that I could potentially call my own. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had no business experience. I thought, me, start a business. Um, okay, what am I good at? And I sat there for a while and I just thought, what am I good at? What? And I just didn't know. So then I thought, okay, what do I like? And when I wrote it down on a piece of paper, it was, I like people. So I'm a people's person. I like taking photos and I like fancy dress, which was, it just seemed like three very random things that potentially couldn't go together. Um, But I was the kind of person, if you invited me to a fancy dress party I would be so happy. I would be ecstatic. It would be a six week project for me to create something amazing for this fancy dress party. So I knew I liked fancy dress. And at that time, social media was on the rise. You know, all all of the social media platforms were still there. And I just thought, do you know what? I like taking pictures. People like taking pictures. But what we don't have is that security of when your phone gets stolen or when your phone breaks or when you lose all of the data on your phone, you're more upset at the fact that you can't retrieve it if you haven't backed it up. Mm -hmm. And I just thought people take photos all the time, but we never really print them. So gone are the days where we used to go to the local shop to to pay for the photos that you've taken on a camera. And then the excitement would be looking through those photos just having a look and being like, oh my gosh, look how amazing that shot is, or I look awful, or, you know, there was an excitement of looking back at something that happened a little while ago. And I just thought, people like taking photos still, but people don't print them as much. Mm -hmm. And it, it just kind of stemmed from there, really. I did a lot of research. It wasn't anything that I just jumped straight into, but I did have that gut feeling that I could make it work. And you were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and how did you go go about building your team to start with? What did you think was the, the first pieces of those puzzle to, to put into place? Well, for the first year, it was just me, literally. Yeah. It was the secretary, the marketing person, salesperson, also the photo booth assistant that would go out on a lot of the jobs. And as time moved on, the company was moving at a very quick pace for me. So I remember there was six months between me purchasing the unit, doing my research, deciding this is what I was going to do. I wasn't going to quit my job. I was going to continue to do my job. And I thought I was just going to do photo boothing on the weekends and possibly some evenings. Six months later, I was doing so well that it, it was starting to affect the work that I was doing with my other company. Yeah, I was too busy. I didn't have enough time getting back to queries and calls and information that people needed. It became a little bit too much. So then I spoke to my mum and I said, I think I'm going to leave my job. And her first thought was, why would you risk security? How will you pay your rent if it doesn't work? And I said, well, of course it's going to work. It's not, not going to work. I'm going to make it work. And that was the decision that I'd made at that time. Six months later, I left my job, completely gave it up. But that was only because I had enough work that I worked out could see me through. Mm-hmm. 
and I took that jump and I I went from there and then it was me and then I employed one team member uh, to assist and then another one and then I got another photo booth a year later and then a year later, a year after that, I got a third photo booth. I got a team of four to six team members and they would work ad hoc as and when events came up, which then allowed me to remove myself from the kind of forefront of the working the jobs on the events. And I was very, very certain that I wasn't just going to stop working. I was going to go and channel that energy into selling, into marketing, um, into meeting and greeting and building relationships and contacts with people in London and the surrounding counties. Very good. And any any bumps in the road on the journey so far? Has it all been plain sailing? <laughs> I'd be lying if I said it. it was plain sailing. It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been challenging. I don't think running a business is for uh, the, the faint-hearted or someone that ki- is a kind of person where they kind of think they want to leave their job and they kind of think they want to start something new and uh, you know and they kind of think they will make it work. Mm. I think it's definitely for a person that is very specific in their goals and in their objectives, in their why, why are they doing this? Why are they about to leave their job? Why are they going to push all of their energy into starting a business um, and to be realistic that things might not go as planned on that road? And what's been the, the best moment so far since you started the business? Okay. Well, I haven't told you about the hiccups here and there. <laughs> so I'll quickly go back to that and then I'll tell you the best moments. Um Things became very challenging because I I found it very hard to delegate and really hard to kind of let go and trust that the team that I had could do the job that I was promising the clients. Um, One of the hiccups that was a major thing for me, I became pregnant, which wasn't a bad thing, um, two and a half years ago. And I had a very healthy pregnancy. I was very aware that I needed to keep healthy both Uh, mentally and physically for the job that I do Mm. but my daughter was born premature at full term yeah meant I had to stay in hospital with her so she was in intensive care for over a month I ended up with high blood pressure which basically completely pulled me from the company whether I liked it or not yeah And that was really tricky because we had 26 bookings in the six weeks that I was gone and I didn't know how how I was going to make it work. I'd taken money for all of these things, uh, all of these events, and I knew that the job had to be done. And all I had was the team that I had employed um, during those six weeks that I had to spend time in hospital with my family and my daughter. The company managed. So although at the time I thought my world was ending, how was I actually going to cope considering I was the main person within the company it was just a realisation that I was spending a lot of time working in the company and not on the company. Yeah, very good. And, and what's been the highlights so far? Having your, daughter, having your child, probably. <laughs> having an amazing daughter. Yeah. He's very clever. He's very confident. He's very smart. Um, still having a business that is not in the red, that is completely in the black. Um, the company's got assets. It's growing Uh, business relationships are booming I have a fantastic relationship with Virgin they're very supportive in all of the work that I've done to date 
um, and the opportunities that I've been given to meet particular people. Because you got to meet the man himself, did you not? I've met, yes. I've met Sir Richard Branson on at least four occasions um, on various days and events um, and invited events that I've been invited to by the Virgin team. And he's very down to earth. Nice guy overall. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with you more. And what what's in the pipeline for the future then? Where do you where do you see you taking the business? Okay, well I've got fantastic uh, growth and ideas that are being put into practice at the moment. I've recently come back from two work trips, one to Las Vegas for a convention. Um, and then the most recently Hong Kong for another convention expo where I'm looking to grow the business but with a totally different arm to what we're doing. So it's just an expansion of photo booths. I'm, I'm fully aware that in order to run a business, you can't rely on the sole thing that it is that you're doing and think that in 10 years' time, things won't have evolved and changed. And at the moment, I'm constantly exploring new ways mm-hmm. of generating new income for the company. Um, I'm looking forward to trademarking the IdaPod brand, which is what I'm in the process of doing at the moment, which is very exciting. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a lot of growth within different divisions. And I'm hoping that the brand Ida will grow at a really organic, steadily pace over the coming years. But for the year ahead, it's about structure, laying foundations and building on the brand that I've been working so hard on. That's awesome. Thank you very much indeed. Darcy. You're welcome. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring or support, go to startupu.co.uk. And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screw it, just do it to enter. <laughs>